Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Greasers, hope you're having an okay week. Thank you so much for choosing Griefcast and choosing to join me again. And thank you for your incredibly lovely words on the episodes we've had so far of this series, Series 5. And um, a bit terrifying, but here we are. Um, If you are enjoying the show, please, as ever, do rate and review it. You can review the whole show or you can review a particular episode if you really like that episode. Um, It obviously massively helps other people find the show and helps me continue to do it. And do subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. This week I'm talking to writer and poet Shemaine Suleiman. Shemaine is originally from London. She's written and spoken on race and identity for such publications as The Guardian, The Independent, the BBC and uh, lots more. She also has a debut poetry collection called Outside Looking On. Uh, I actually came across Shemaine because she co-edited an incredible book called The Good Immigrant, The USA Version with past guest Nikesh Shulka. Uh, Nikesh got in touch with me to say, Shemaine has an amazing story, I think you should hear it. And they very kindly sent me a copy of the book. Now, um, I know on this show I get sent lots of books about death, and you'll hear me say in this episode this book isn't especially focused on that, but I can't recommend it enough. It's such an interesting collection of essays, especially at the times that we are living right now. So if you're looking for something that is poignant and relevant, uh, but not entirely about death, The Good Immigrant USA, I can very much recommend Jermaine came in to talk to me about her grandfather. He was killed during the 1960s as part of the Cypriot Civil War. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with writer Shemaine Suleiman. 
Hello. Hi. Uh, your book, well, the book you've edited and written for The Good Immigrant USA has just come out, is yes, that right? Yes, it has. It came out in America a few weeks ago and uh, in England just last week. Just last week. This is very exciting. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at it. I'm holding a copy of it. It's very, it's very exciting. It's exciting to see it. It is really exciting to see it. It doesn't, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real. Um, and so we should say that this sort of came about because there's an English book called The Good Immigrant, which was edited by Nikesh Shulker, who was also a previous guest on Griefcast. And then you wrote an essay for that? Is yeah, that right? I was a contributing writer for the first book. And yeah. so then how did the American one come about then? Uh, I was already living in New York when the first book came out. And then after the success of that book, which we, we weren't expecting at all, it, Nikesh and I were just talking about my different experience of being an immigrant in, in America and the nuances around race. And then the more we were just talking about it on a general level, the more it made sense to to turn those conversations that we were having as friends yeah, into, yeah. In, into another collection and, and see where that took us. It's so good. Thank it's you. so fucking good. Thank you. Like, I get sent a lot of books, mostly on death. So this was like a bit of a breath of fresh air because although it's obviously it's about a really hard topic... It doesn't start with the phrase like honestly. I got sent one on the weekend, which was like the, it was a um, test copy, which was like I thought I th- I thought he'd left the house, but he was dead. And I was just like, <laughs> oh god, I don't want to start reading this. So just to just to get something that isn't completely full of people dying right. was quite quite nice. But um, the there's contributions from all sorts of people, but it's so it's really interesting, I think, because obviously we get we were just talking about this. We get a lot of um. American culture in our life so I think we were just talking about people not knowing where Wales is or where Turkish Cyprus is Mm -hmm. and I think like I know where Missouri is you know I know these like weird things because of watching stuff but I feel like this is such a different side of stuff that I haven't heard so I just the first one I read was um I don't know how to say her name Porchista Porchista about being an Iranian American and it's such a good essay it's incredible she's an she's an incredible amazing very beautiful writer yeah and it's a very powerful essay to start the book with. and just to start that thinking about being an Iranian American growing up in California and just it is I mean it's a bit of a cliche but it is voices I think that you don't really hear of in yeah, mainstream media absolutely what's it been like for you then living in New York why did you move to New York first of all was that for work no I moved because my partner at the time got a job out there oh, and wow. we moved for his job and then for whatever reason I ended up staying even after it didn't work oh, out wow. between us I think a lot of that was also true I, I remember I, I came back uh, when Brexit was happening, and then as soon as Brexit happened, I was like, "Yeah, I don't think I can move back here." Wow. Um, and then I went back to New York, and then Trump happened. So. Oh my god! <laughs> so it didn't it didn't really work out that well. Um, but it's been it's an interesting experience. It's like I've, I I grew up in London. I'm, I'm I was born in London, but my parents migrated from from Cyprus. They're Turkish Cypriot, and I always felt like an immigrant here Mm. even though I was born here and I've spent a lot of time being like I'm not Turkish enough I'm not English enough I'm not white enough I'm not brown enough I'm not Muslim enough and I didn't really know what I was like I've had this massive identity crisis and then I moved to America and I was like oh I'm a Londoner like that like that (laughs) like that's it that like that's that's all it is yeah your essay is fascinating about people not being able to identify you because of your skin being, you know... Much lighter. Lighter. And what's the phrase you use? White passing. White passing, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's another phrase, someone calls you something. Oh, spicy white? Spicy white. (laughs) Someone calls me spicy white. Which I was like, oh, that's such a great... I love that language. I thought it was really, really funny and really... Yeah, I knew exactly what you meant. Um, 
but yeah, that's weird, isn't it? And I think we we were talking before we started recording about how powerful London is, and I, I don't know if you feel it. I get very irritated when people slag off London. I get oh yeah, very massively, annoyed because I feel like it's one of the greatest places in it the is, world. Yeah, like, it is. Really, and I I've been to New York, and it was one of the few places in the world I thought, all right, you're you're as good as London. I could live here. It is like. <laughs> There's there's a lot about it that's very similar to yeah. London, but actually when you when when you start to dig a little bit deeper, which I guess you kind of you have to do yeah, when you're yeah. living somewhere, actually there there are a lot of a, a lot of very significant differences. Yeah. I don't find it to be a particularly diverse place. No, that's true. The diversity. I suppose the one thing I had no problem was the pace of it. Right. Because London, it felt like right. it was on the same tempo Absolutely. as London. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't feel like, you know, when you go somewhere quiet and you're like, why is no one moving? <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. it's quiet. I don't like yeah. when people stroll. Why are you strolling? Like, get out my way. Yeah. What's happening? So you're right. But you're right. It's, it's not quite as, I suppose maybe is the centre not as diverse as London is? Like, I mean, like, like, Bro- like Brooklyn is diverse in like the truest sense of the word but I find it a lot more segregated Mm. and I find that also like I got into trouble for saying this the other day but I do feel like it's true like I feel like America does lack a lot of nuance around things Mm. (laughs) um and and I think that's also because it's such a vast country that they're still trying to understand what one side of America looks like to the other so they're not really looking to see what's happening in Europe or what's happening in in the Middle East or like you know what what, what this Bollywood film's saying or or what you know what this you know Arab musician is whereas we have a lot more access to that and a lot more interest in that I think largely because our neighbours are so mixed in London I think also like geography is so massive like you said like the geography of a country affecting a culture it can be so easy sometimes I mean look you know why people say we're an island nation when you look at Brexit right exactly yeah we still have that mentality and I think you're right America is so huge you know like the joke is isn't it like it's 20 years behind in different places it is yeah no absolutely absolutely it's yeah it's an it's an interesting place it has I moved when Obama was was president, oh, and Saint Lord Obama. <laughs> I know, right? And then I was there the whole way through, like Trump's campaign, obviously, and then like now Trump's presidency, and it it is a different place. Yeah, and it, it's like that. His his attitude trickles down into people's day to day living and approaches to each other. Like even if they're not Trump supporters, you still see that like if your president and your government is representing something so self-serving mm. and that that's that's the message that that you're that you're giving to the rest of the world even if you don't support his politics you end up sort of embodying that like self-serving mentality people have got yeah. way more selfish and way more aggressive yeah. in the last however long it's been 2 years I think it like it makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes, and this is a terrible, terrible example, but I'm really good at them. When you are filming something, they have like the cast list, right? And there's someone who's number one on the cast list. It's obviously the lead. That means they're in the most things. And whenever I always say like whoever number one is on that sheet, it trickles down. So if number one acts, uh, number one and two and three, I guess if they act very humbly and they're kind and they you know they're not pulling shit, then the crew relax and everyone lower relaxes and it becomes like a really nice place to work. Mm-hmm. But if number one, two, and three pull shit and throw, you know, throw strops or something, like, it sets the tone of that yeah, environment. For sure. for sure. And so you can tell, you know, sometimes you work on a film or a TV show just for one day and you come in and you'll be like, oh, okay, number one, two, and three don't like not being important. And so that's what's happening here. So everyone's worried about them. And it's like, we're such 
tribal human beings are yeah. so engrossed in tribes yeah, yeah. that it makes sense. Like Trump is number one. He's behaving like, of course, how can it not affect you? Or even if it's, you know, even if you disagree, you're angry because number one is so awful. Right, exactly. <laughs> so then you're exactly. angry and so he's every, angry. Everyone's and angry. everyone's angry. Yeah. Everyone's angry all of the time. Yeah. Like, it does trickle down in psychology. That's obviously where you're at at the moment. We're all at at the moment, sadly yeah. and unfortunately. But who are we remembering today? I think my granddad. Okay. And what was your granddad's name? Uh, his name was Suleiman Rajep. Suleiman Rajep. Mm-hmm. That's a great name. Is what does Suleiman name? mean? Is it mean? I don't know what it means, but in Turkish, in, 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 in Cyprus, like before 1974, the way the names worked was that you took your father's first name as your last name. And then wow. you kept, and then it changed after 1974. So his father's... First name was Rajep, so then he was uh. Suleiman Rajep, so then my dad is Rajep Suleiman. Wow. And then if I if I if that had continued with me, but I was born after 1974, I would have been Shemen Rajep. Oh. Um, but because by that point the war went into like a ceasefire and people registered their names properly, uh, I didn't. So you continue became Shemen Suleiman. Yeah, but only in this country. Wow. Because in Cyprus, I am Shemen Shahitolu which means martyr's son. So after my grandfather was killed in the Cyprus Civil War, the name that my dad registered for their family um, was martyr's son, Shahit Olu. So actually when I'm there, that's that's the name that I use. No one knows me as Shemen Suleiman when I'm in Cyprus. It's a lot. I find stuff like that just so much. I always ask people what the name means because I find it, it's just, again, it's these tiny signifiers that communicate so much and mean so much to mm-hmm. us and like the fact that you know my dad is the one who's dead my dad was the welsh one so mm-hmm. i have this weird welsh name which i'm very like connected to even though i grew up in north london and i upset welsh people all the time right <laughs> at least can you speak turkish i can i've Great. got a See, terrible english accent but, but no yes, but at I least can. you can i can't yeah. speak any welsh and they right. get real upset about it right um wow so Ma- wow that's amazing yeah so he's Suleiman rajep so he died what what year was this he died in 1964 okay um, so you never met him no no my dad was 13 when he died and the civil war started I mean, there was there was like discomfort happening in that country for like years before, because um, it was a Br- it was a British colony um, for a period of time. Uh, unsurprisingly, yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we do get everywhere. <laughs> yep. It's just like McDonald's. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, they got here as well. Yeah, whenever, yeah you, whenever you read any history, you're like, we went there. That's so far. Why did we go there? Because we just wanted to. Mm-hmm. We got really good at going. Places. We got really good at going to places and taking things. Yeah. Um, and so the, the Turkish Civil War started, or the Cyprus Civil War, rather, I should say, started in end of 1963. Wow. And then by March 1964, my grandfather was killed in it. Um, but it's always, it's been a massive thing that's just always hung over my family mm. and always hung over everything that we've done. Because it was very... It was done in such a brutal way yeah. as well. Like he was captured with with other men, lots of whom we were related to, and like marched to this Greek Cypriot. Uh, he was like a pig farmer. And marched him to this guy's house. They marched all of them to this guy's house, and then tortured and killed them like quite brutally. And there's a photographer. And no one's quite sure who the photographer is. Mm. Some people say it was a Turkish photographer. Other people say it was a British photographer who took a photograph of all of the men, all of their bodies, 
when they were dead. And the second person closest to the photograph is 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 my granddad, and this was a really like famous photo in Cyprus that mm. gets used a lot when people are well. I mean, I guess in terms of like remember the war. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I yeah we grew up with that photo. Like the first time my dad ever saw that picture was was hanging on the wall of a museum in North Cyprus, like two years after his dad had been killed. Um, so did he know it existed, the photo? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think there was. I think he knew that there was rumour of it, mm. but wasn't 100%. That's really weird that no one knows who took it. Yeah. That's really, like, I know. mad, Because it? a lot of people were like, oh, it was a Brit- British journalist. But then, you know, I was talking to my dad about it, and there's also something quite colonial about that. that yeah. You, sort of, you're, you know, the, the, it's always like the, the truth-tellers are always like the British. Yeah. But, yeah, there's no, like, no one's quite sure. No one's quite sure. I would have thought if it was a British journalist, there would be like a record of it and it would have been sent right. to his paper and, right. you know, that they would have been the paper that, pub, or, you know, or something right. you could track also, them down. Also because, because it's an image that's like, that's used, that was, it was used every single year on the front page of Turkish newspapers on the anniversary of my granddad's death. Wow. Like every single year up until relatively recently. So you would think that there would be... Like, with an image that's that sort of renowned in that country, yeah, yeah. you would think that, that somebody would, somebody gone, would have been me. like, yeah, I took, I took <laughs> yeah. that picture. But for whatever reason... That's so weird. For whatever reason, no one knows. But, yeah, so we, like, we, we always... Like, that was the first picture I ever saw of him, like, with it, half his head missing. Oh, my God. So when you first saw it, how old were you? Can you remember? <sighs> must have been really, really young. Yeah. Like, I think, I don't know, maybe six or seven or eight. Maybe, maybe a little bit older. Do you remember it being explained to you what happened mm, to him? It was always explained to me. Wow. Because, I mean, my, 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 both my parents lived through the same war mm. and my dad was a prisoner of war twice. And, like, all of the, the men in my family like, who were old enough all fought in it and were also prisoners of war. So you couldn't really escape it. So, yeah. you know, in order to understand not even history, just, like, my family's existence, like, yeah. my parents, like, immediate who they are, is that, like, that's that's what they've come from. Yeah, so he was, lived. your dad was a teenager when that, my dad was started. Thir- yeah, my, my dad was, both my parents would have been 13, just turned 13, 12, 13 when the war started. That's so nuts, and, isn't it? Yeah, and he was 13 when his dad was killed, and he was a soldier from that age, from 13 up until, I don't know, mid, mid to late 20s. <laughs> I still just find that, Mind-blowing. Yeah, pretty sad. Because I was talking to someone the other day about, um, I think it was the Arthur Smith episode where we were talking about his dad and World War Two and my grandpa, and we were saying, you know, like, oh, it's this sort of faraway world and it's hard to imagine what it was like. To, and then you forget, of course, that's a very white English perspective on it of like well my yeah my family didn't my dad wasn't a soldier at 13 because I'm not thinking about wars that were really not that far away so for your dad for you to talk about your dad being a soldier do you know what I mean that's something that normally much a much older person would be like yeah you're used to it being like a few generations removed from you and it's like it's something it's like Like, tales in his 60s yeah and he's like my dad was fought in Germany and you're like right oh yeah I see that's a world of films that I kind of get, but I don't. But yeah, for you to be like, yeah, yeah. one generation ago, my dad was yeah, a soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was born in 1983, and and the ceasefire was in 1974. So it's not you know yeah. it wasn't that long before I was born. I've I've one of my oldest cousins was born during the war. You know, 
it's yeah, it's it's very very recent. It's like literally, it's literally the thing that all of my family, yeah, all of my family, because my mum's Turkish Cypriot as well, have lived through. It's very, it's yeah, it's just really. Um, I suppose the other thing is like because there's so much, so much conflict that I remember growing up. I definitely knew about the Cypriot War, and then it drifted into all the other wars that right. Britain was involved right. in. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. And so yeah, then yeah, you yeah. sort of remember that, like, I remember people, because we're both from North London, and I remember someone saying, oh, they're Greek Cypriot, and me being like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's that? Like, no, no, that's a day. Like, you, you're yeah. going on holiday to the Turkish bit. Right. So don't tell them right. that you're yeah, going yeah, yeah. to yeah, that yeah, bit, because yeah. yeah, it'll yeah. just start a conversation that they might not want to have, yeah. and be like, oh, right, okay. But it, it not being, but you're right, there's such an incredibly near war, But with a lot of history that has been erased around it, because even though like, yeah, growing up in North London, people know that there's a difference between a Greek Cypriot and a Turkish Cypriot because a lot of us live in North London and and East London. But there there is still a lot of erasure about like what that country Mm. like looks like. And the fact that actually like there is a border in the middle and that the North part, which is the Turkish part, is a lot like Palestine in that it's a pseudo-state. It's not Mm. a recognised country. Like, you can't fly directly to North Cyprus. You have to touch down in Turkey. The only place that can land in North Cyprus is a flight from Turkey. So no matter where you're coming from in the world, if you're going to the Turkish part of Cyprus, you've got to get a connecting flight from Turkey to get there because no one else in the world recognises it. Um, You know, and it's, it's... yeah, there's 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 a lot of erasure of, of kind of our economic situation and like there, there's no import export laws. You can't, you know, we're, we're not a recognised country and we haven't been since 1970. I'm not going to work out how long that is because I can't do maths. But <laughs> no, neither can I. Since, since 1974 is a long time. Yeah, that's so mad, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I've been to Turkish Cyprus and you've just I'd forgotten that we had to do that that what? we touched down in Turkey I completely forgot that yeah, so it was yeah, a while yeah. ago which also makes it more expensive and a much longer journey yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember being like oh this is annoying yeah. that we have to do this yeah what, what could be like a four hour flight yeah. ends up being like an eight hour journey because of that it's annoying God. so you remember being explained okay this is your your granddad did your parents talk about like did your dad talk about how he felt about that grief or was it kind of like, because there's, like you said, there was so much, you'd all been affected by it. It wasn't like, oh, let's pinpoint this one thing. No, he didn't. He didn't, actually. Um, I did a show with him recently. I did shortcuts for um, oh, yeah, yeah. for Radio 4, BBC 4. Is that right, BBC 4? BBC Radio 4. BBC yeah. Radio 4, yeah. So I did, I did shortcuts with him and I read like a little piece about it and they, they got him on with me to talk about it. And that's probably the first time... I've ever heard him talk about his actual feelings rather wow. than like the events around it. But yeah, because it was always just like yeah, it was always facts. Yeah. Um but yeah, he's always been quite stoic about it. The one thing that I do remember is every year he would like for a few weeks before the anniversary, he'd get really like kind of difficult to be around, mm. which is not my dad at all. Like he is just like the softest like kindest easiest person like what like whatever you he he's like there's nothing he's not a moody person at all he's a very gentle person but for a few weeks before the anniversary he just he'd just become kind of unbearable and a bit mm. sort of moody and snappy and he would take the photo out like every single night wow. and just study it and just and you just couldn't interrupt him and me and my mum would just be like all right we'll allow it we'll just have to leave you to it um, but he doesn't do that anymore. He's much, he's much, I don't know, I think the older he's got, he's in his 60s now, um, late 60s. Like, I think 
kind of the more comfortable he's got and, and growing older, mm. I think the, the better that that reaction is from him. I think it might have been a lot worse when he was around the age that his dad was when his dad was yeah. killed. And that mentality of, like, you're suddenly older than, like, that parent, yeah. you know. That is a huge thing. Is it? <laughs> yeah, because you're always looking for milestones, I think, because you don't have them. So you're always looking for, like, like things that are significant. So I, so yeah, my dad died when I was 15, and last year was the 20th anniversary. I've been trying to, like, style it out and just say 20 so people can't guess my age, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you listeners know it was last year. And, um... And that became so significant for me, so significant, because it's just like that number, that yeah. number going, well, that's way longer. That's five years more than I knew him. Right. And then here we are. Right. And then my brother, is he's not quite there yet, but he's coming up to the age my dad was. And I know that's going to be for all, well, for all of us, I think, just, it's just... It's just weird when life gives you really clear markers. Right. So you can be sad about them. You're like, oh, I'm sad, I'm sad, oh, well, I'm sad. But then when you're like, oh, wow, Tom's nearly the same age. Oh, like it's suddenly like that. It like helps you process it in a way, and I can't, I can't imagine how your dad must have felt when you have such a traumatic image to look at. Like, you know, I have traumatic memories that through time it's got easier to kind of go, okay, replace some of those with like when he was alive, and perhaps that's what your, you know, your dad has done is replace them. But I don't have a photo of the day he died, and also he died of cancer, so it was like he looked awful. But yeah, to die in such a violent way yeah and to have a picture of it yeah must be one time not helpful but kind of like okay i see that that's what happened there's the truth of it because often you're searching you're like i can't remember i can't yes. remember yeah so i think any visual image you're like there it is yeah. that's what happened to me but to see something so violent must be yeah really fucking painful Plushcare.com/slash/weightloss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. I remember the first time I saw a photo of my granddad not looking like that. Yeah. I was maybe 14 or 15. Wow. And that scared me way more. 
because I don't think I ever understood that my granddad was anything other than yeah. this dead war hero, mm. you know? And then suddenly you see this image of them where you're like, oh, seen, okay, actually, like, they were a husband and a person and a father. Yeah. And I've missed out on having, like, a really lovely granddad. Yeah. And then so that it sort of switches that perspective and it stops being this tragic war story and suddenly you're like this this was a man this was actually a man because they're not a man when you're looking at that dead body yeah. they're not and I, I, and I don't know if that's because I went to the Don McCullen exhibition yesterday oh yeah and yeah. there are loads of pictures he's of, a war photographer he's, yeah the war yeah. photographer and there are lots of pictures of, of of dead bodies at various wars but interestingly there's a massive section that he has on Cyprus and there are photos that he has of there are two different photos where my dad is related to two different people in those photos. Wow. And one of the guys in one of those photos <laughs> is still alive and I've met him and he runs a chain of shoe shops in North Cyprus. <laughs> and he learned how to become a shoemaker because he, he was an apprentice to my granddad who was a shoemaker. Wow. And for a very long time, we were talking earlier about like not knowing who took the photo for a very long time I always fantasized that it was Don McCullen because then it gave me some kind of like connection to like that day Mm. beyond it just being this violent thing that exists for everybody else's politics and you don't get to have a say about like whether that's you know how you feel about it and what your relationship to that person is rather than your relationship to that picture or that event or that war it's yeah, it's a lot. It's so much. Yeah. It's so much. We talk to all sorts of people, and there's always you're always like, God, that's a lot. But this is a lot, I guess, because like you're saying, it's so much bigger than a family. Because yeah. normally we're so focused on like, okay, this is a family tragedy, and the pain spirals from this person out into the family. But once you reach, you know, friends, it, it, you can see the pain dis not distancing, but getting lighter because it is. Whereas this is so much. It's about such a bigger subject that yeah. it feels very heavy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just thinking as well, like, you know, I, all the photos of my dad, like I have, I can't imagine, it would make me feel so sick if somebody else had a photo and they could just mm-hmm. pop it out. Yeah. Like I'd be like, and we've talked to people who've had um, famous parents and, you know, they've said sometimes you just fucking hear them on the radio and it's like, oh, oh no yeah. warning. And it's, yeah. I guess it's a similar thing, but it, it's always wrapped in that tragedy of the war, isn't it? Yeah, because it is. And also because other people sort of, other people then end up appropriating what is your very personal relationship with your grandfather or your father yeah. or your husband. And I I remember, it wasn't even that long ago, like I, I remember being in, in um, Kyrenia, North Cyprus with like all of like loads of my family and it was really hot and we were walking to go get ice cream or beer or something and me and my dad were like walking through this like crowd of people and there was this massive like almost like billboard that was up in the middle of the square with loads of photos of of the war on it must have been an anniversary and we sort of were like excuse me excuse me like trying to get through the crowd and then we just suddenly see this massive photograph of of my granddad, oh like, my look in, in that state, like, that particular photo. And, you know, and my dad just went, like, really silent. And you see, like, there's just crowds of people just sort of mm. pawing at this at this photo. And you're like, I wasn't ready for this. Like, yeah, nobody, yeah, yeah. No, like, we, we were just, like, walking next to a harbour trying to get some ice cream on, like, a Tuesday afternoon or yeah. whatever. And then suddenly you have to be like, oh, cool, that's, that's you know, 
that that's my 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 dead dad. Like there he is. You know, it's a lot. It's so much, and it's funny because it's so. <laughs> We talk about this so much on the show of like Mother's Day or Father's Day, mm-hmm. you know, and you get an email like, <clears throat> celebrate Mother's Day with chocolate. And you're like, oh, fucking hell. Like, yeah. I wasn't prepared for that today. Yeah. Or, you know, you're in the park and you, you know, you see like an old man. That's what I get, like an old man playing with some kids. And you're like, oh, that's the granddad my child will never yeah. ever have. But <laughs> for you, it's an added, it's an added layer of... <laughs> I was going to say bigness. <laughs> Trump is catching, guys. <laughs> is catching. Of, of, of what's my grandness, I guess, because yeah. I guess for those people, like you said, he's a martyr. Yeah. Like, you know, and that, be- and he's become more, he's become meaningful to them in a different yeah. way, which is why they want that image, yeah. which is why they use that image on the papers. You know, it means yeah. that this is it. We were, we were wronged and we fought and our country yeah. still matters. Yeah. And don't forget, don't, don't forget, forget them. Like... Yeah, but you're right. It's, the personal because it, it it's not a dead it's not an anonymous dead body no it isn't and it makes me think of all those war pictures that you know like those famous ones there's that famous one isn't it of um the kiss on VE Day in New York with the guy like bending over oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't they like track down the woman and she was like I didn't know him he just grabbed me and shoved his yeah, tongue yeah, down my yeah. throat it was actually really horrible yeah 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 <laughs> and it was a really like they were all kissing people and it was actually really horrible being in the streets that day yeah 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 but to the picture you're like oh look how happy America was and yeah. it's like yeah. yeah the story behind the picture is always yeah like you said the personal behind the political I suppose right exactly it's so massive which is when when that photo of um, Ilan uh, Cody the child that um, the photograph of the child face down who had yeah. who had drowned. Like I, I get it. I mm. get. I get that. I get the importance of seeing a picture like that because it changed a lot of minds mm. about what the refugee crisis is and what it looks like. But there's also something deeply problematic about having to see dead brown and black bodies yeah. in order to humanize the politics behind it. It. it it's so problematic and it reminds me of advertising because right, what you see exactly. is you go, oh, it works like the way adverts work. Exactly. Is you're going like, you know, like, oh, that lady's got really shiny white teeth. I mm-hmm. want shiny white teeth. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. That made me realise what I want. And that's what they did with that little boy was maybe go, oh, little boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not okay. Yeah. And it was a really, that photo is fascinating because it was a really weird period where suddenly all those papers that peddled the most disgusting disgusting anti-immigrant rhetoric rhetoric constantly suddenly yeah we're like this is awful yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I remember being like you know it's almost like yeah like your racist friend is suddenly not racist you're like oh this is weird why are they okay yeah, yeah, yeah. okay great i'm gonna encourage it yeah, yeah. And it was like this brief moment and then it felt to me like it just went away again and it was like well actually you know it's all obviously it's very sad obviously it's very sad but let's not get emotional yeah, 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 exactly. because actually yeah, there's a bigger yeah. problem here yeah yeah and but you said for a brief moment it, it did it did fucking help and there was this huge wave of people that were like oh my god I'm going to get involved and people going to the refugee camps and donating and that was brilliant but but the fact that that's what it takes I know the fact that that's what it takes for people to start humanising it like that's you know and it's interesting what you're saying about like the, the response of the papers as well but because the only reason why they had to then try and humanise this this dead child and, and, and this political crisis is because they were the fucking ones that were talking yeah. about how shit refugees are and immigrants are anyway. You know, and it's, it's, it's the exact same thing with the Christchurch shootings, mm. where it's like the newspapers are still profiting off Muslim trauma 
because they're you know they're now selling papers off the back of these these are the you know these are the victims of of this, mm. this terrorist attack in Christchurch and how horrific and how awful and never forget these people but you're the same fucking papers that got people like this who you know didn't actually need very much to work out who their target was yeah. going to be to go in there and shoot those people because you've spent the last god knows how many decades talking about how all Muslims are terrorists and if you don't kill them they'll kill you first so your family um like are they do people know then that that's your like you said your surname is Martin do people know like that's your granddad from the picture is that for the, I mean yeah for the, for the most part people but it's it's a very it's a very small island like yeah, I mean yeah. I think there are I think there are, honestly, I genuinely think there are fewer Turkish Cypriots in Cyprus than there are in Haringey, like, <laughs> like, 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 like genuinely. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're a small community. I mean, so people do know, for the most part, who my family is, largely because these are other families and communities yeah. that you've, and that have grown up with each other for so long. Um, but generally, when you do say the name, like, Shehit Olu, even if they can't work out exactly, like, which you know which which martyr your granddad yeah, yeah. is like they still already know that yeah. it's it's one of you know that it's someone significant yeah. because they take their martyrs very seriously um and you know it's the, there is there is a lot of respect because it's it's such it's such recent history yeah, and it, and yeah. it hasn't the war hasn't even ended really it's just like yeah, it's just a ceasefire it's just ceasefire isn't it it's not fixed or finished or ended in a neat narrative no, not that any war is but no but there but there also there are there are physical memories of that war everywhere mm. in 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 that island anyway it's like i remember my my grandmother's house uh she passed away as well like a, only a few years ago and we used to go to her house and and there were bullet holes all over the walls wow. and like all, all over the windows and her bedroom the floor was like made of like stone, I guess. Like there was a massive blood stain like on the floor that couldn't be fully washed away yeah, because yeah. it had sunk into whatever the stone was that that, that wow. made her floor. And you just got used to it. Like yeah. we just used to play like that. Where it was like, okay, that's the blood stain of some dude that was killed here. And this is when 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 they moved when my grandmother uh, got moved into that house. Um, so she had lost her house in the south, and then and the I guess the border went up, so Turkish Cypriots went on one side, Greek Cypriots on the other. So she got like a lot of people did, like you know, a lot, a lot of refugees on both mm. both sides, both Greeks and Turks. She got given a house, but everything was so fresh after the war that they I remember that my family saying that when they moved her in, there were something like fifteen or sixteen bodies just like all around the house and in the garden, oh and God. they buried all of those bodies in the garden i remember this is how fucked up it is and how how used to it we were i remember being about eight or nine years old and trying with my cousins who were all a similar age trying to dig up one of the bodies we didn't we didn't get of course we didn't get very far we also scared the shit out of ourselves of course quite but if someone tells you it. there's eight bodies in the garden of course you're gonna you're a group of kids you're gonna dig exactly that up. exactly absolutely there's no way one of you's not gonna go exactly. do you want to get a spade and dig up a body exactly <laughs> like, exactly and I, like you know and it was it was it was just, it was such a part of like, yeah. it was such a normal part of our childhood, you know, which of itself is fucking terrifying. Yeah. That you think that just walking around your grandmother's house with some, you know, poor man's blood still on that mm. floor and you're like, yeah, sure, this is like, this is how we live. Bullet holes everywhere in her house, like everywhere. I, I mean, it is terrible, but it's also sort of like massively important that we talk about it, it yeah. feels, because... 
I don't know, this is maybe a stupid thing to say, but um, I used to be a tour guide in London and like part of the bit that you used to say is you point out there's so many churches and buildings in London that have bomb damage. And mm-hmm. I don't think people realise. It's like Tate Britain is covered in it. There's this church on the Strand. And people always, they just think they're old buildings. And if you look, you go, I mean, obviously it's bomb. Like when you realise that, you're like, yeah. you can see the, yeah, the yeah, shrapnel yeah. and it doesn't look like that's been worn away. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, that's a fucking bomb that landed yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And people would always be really like, whoa. Because you're like, yeah, where you're standing on yeah. the Strand right now, a bomb dropped. Yeah. And this church survived it. Or, you know, St Paul's is, is covered in bomb damage. And I think stuff like that's really important because, as you said, that war is getting very far away for people now. So it's like, oh, right. But of course your grandmother's house is covered. That, that's what had happened. Yeah, and everybody's houses were. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, well, the older houses anyway, not obviously not the houses yeah. built afterwards, but all of the houses that, you know, that survived that time, they're all like that. I mean, you walk around you, you walk around just like the city centre, mm. like Lefkosha, Nicosia, as, as the English know it. And it's like, again, you see all the sides of the big buildings. You yeah. see, like, bits of, you know, bits of the building that yeah, come away from missing, shrap- shrapnel. Yeah. And no man's land is a really interesting thing as well, which is where the UN are. Because it's actually, it's, it's quite narrow. It runs it runs through the main, it runs through the capital, which is shared by both the north and the south. And it's essentially, it's like people's houses that where people couldn't return to them and you can see like the windows that are open and people's furniture is still in there and everything was just like these are people's houses like just left untouched since 1974 like windows still open sandbags along like both sides and it's it's really narrow you can see either side like quite easily with a greek cypriot soldier on one side turkish cypriot on our side and then a un i guess in the middle it's 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 there's a constant like haunting reminder mm. of war in Cyprus, certainly in the north. I don't yeah. know. I, I I can't really speak for the south. I haven't been to the south for a very long time. Um, but the north in particular is 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 still quite a haunted place. And how do you feel like that's affected you? Because like I think there is, I'm not I'm not trained, but like there is a sense of inherited grief sometimes when a big trauma has been in the family. Like, do you feel like? Do you feel how? Did, yeah, did it affect you having that grief, that heavy grief around? Well, I mean, it's 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 a funny thing. It's physically affected me. Yeah, my, my, yeah. But my hair is grey, right? Yeah, yeah. I've had grey hair since I was eight years old. It's not. I thought it was dyed. No, no, no. Oh no. my god, because it's I've, so trendy now. It is. It is, it is very trendy now. <laughs> You're right on board, Jermaine. It's it's and it's and it's very grey, and it's been turning grey since I was eight, and very grey since I was fifteen. That's a trauma gene. Wow. My dad started to turn grey when he was 13 when his dad got murdered and he's the only person in his family who has it. It was a direct response to stress. And he kept that trauma gene and passed it on to me. So I'm literally wearing that shit on my head. Like, I literally carry that trauma gene. I carry that trauma around on my head, like, physically. Um, but I don't think it's a surprise, like, what I do for a living. I don't think yeah. it's a surprise. Like, what I tend to talk a lot about, I write a lot about... Identity, which I guess is different. I guess that's because I I grew up here separated from all of it. But I spend a lot of time writing and working about, like, race and equality and human rights. And, you know, I I try and bring Cyprus into my work as much as I possibly Mm. can. Because whilst there are a lot of us in London... A lot of us don't have a voice. A lot of us aren't telling our story. Well, and as we were saying, like, we both grew up in North London, so I'm fully aware of Turkish Cypriot and Greek Cypriot, but 
if you're not from North London, yeah, you might not even know no there was idea. a bloody war there. No, like, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Or you've heard a slightly different narrative yeah, of that war, yeah. which is largely that, like, you know, it's always referred to as being the Turkish invasion of 1974, which whilst Turkey intervened in 1974 and that's when the ceasefire uh, started, it's it's very misleading language because mm. an invasion sort of suggests that those there weren't Turkish people living on that island before that mm. or that Turkish people didn't have a right to be on that island before that, which is nonsense. But I think that you said that trauma gene is really interesting because there is this massive theory now of epigenetics, isn't it, that your you know, genes change in trauma and you can inherit things and a child born under, you know, um, during a wartime will have different genetic mm-hmm. makeup and... That, like, when you start thinking about it, it's mind-blowing because I think for so long we've just been like, no, these things don't affect you. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course, how can course it not? How do. can something not? That's what I was thinking of, like, something as traumatic because it was such a violent death. Mm-hmm. And to have that image of that violent death as a memory of that violent death, like, of course that's going to affect your dad. And, of course, even if it just, even if you ignored all genetics and you just went just psychologically, yeah. you know, He's, you know, the way he's going to parent is going to be affected by that. Mm-hmm. Not, to, not to say he wasn't a brilliant parent, well, no, but just but the to way, be... But the way he parented was affected by that yeah. in, a, in, a, in a massively positive way. He was yeah. a very, and still is, an incredibly present father. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he didn't always, he wouldn't have always had that in him anyway. But I, I, I imagine that there's probably something in that with growing up without, yeah. you know, without a dad. And having to also become a dad to your siblings at quite an early age yeah, like, I mean at 13 that's yeah. like ridiculous they were it? they were fi- they were five of them five siblings and he's the oldest boy and the he's the second oldest child so like my aunt who's 15 he was 13 and the two of them and my grandmother was so insanely depressed mm. throughout her life actually um that like my dad and and his sister kind of had to become the mum and dad and they yeah. had to like they had to work from that age to pay for their siblings to go to school and and to to university rather and to to just to live you know they became the parents in absence of having a dad and having a mum who was so traumatized that actually for a very long time she she couldn't really function did she ever talk about it to you no never absolutely never um she she never married again she never had anything to do with another man again the only story I've heard stories never from her. I heard a story that when she found out that he was dead, she smashed a plate over her head, and I think that's I think that was it. I think she just she shut down after that. Wow. She was a very like a very <clears throat> loving, a very present grandmother, and I assume parent as well. Certainly in like later years, mm. like very very warm, very funny person. So very emotionally open in that sense, but like no, she wouldn't. She wouldn't talk about the wars. She never really talks about him. It took a very long time for her to even put photos of him up. Wow. And the, what was interesting with those photos, the photos of of the reason why I was fourteen when I first saw a picture of him alive was because so much was burnt and lost in the war. Of course, yeah, yeah. So apparently some neighbours had saved a couple of photos for them, which no one realised that they'd had, or this woman had. And for whatever reason, it took her a very long time to kind of track my family down Mm. and be like, by the way, you know, before I die, before something happens to me, here's a bunch of photos that I saved from your house. 
And that's that's wow. so I was yeah I was like fourteen I think around the time those those photos of him um, with with my grandmother and there's one of him with um, my grandmother my and my dad and his older sister and there's another one of him with his one of his brothers and those are the only three that I know of that exist but it took her I was probably in my twenties by the time she actually put those pictures up on the wall like she just. It was never really, even on his anniversary, the anniversary of his death, like, my dad would always call her on that day. Mm. And she knew why, but, like, they just wouldn't, you wouldn't, talk, about wouldn't it. talk about it. I mean... <sighs> What's there to say? What's there to say, yeah. You can you can understand. It's There's no right or... We always say this. There's no right or wrong way to talk about things. And with something as, like, violent and traumatic as that, yeah. like, how do you say to your, you know aging mother like there's nothing to say but I can only take comfort that that woman had the foresight to grab some photos like that's kind of amazing I know like because I think it's also really important in not healing that trauma because you're not going to heal it but the fact that you then did see him alive and you did see a happiness and that helped you realize a person like I think stuff like that and that's what they talk about a lot when you know you and someone dies in inverted commas like the normal way or the boring way, quieter way, is you have a lot of traumatic memories of them maybe being sick in hospital. Right. And over time, like you they try and help you to replace them with like them being alive and being healthy. And for years I could only see my dad in like like completely yellow because he had it spread to his liver and like in the clothes he wore when he was sick. And it took me years to suddenly have a memory and was like, oh yeah, he was that's like him laughing and yeah. wearing a suit and being yeah. alive and being a person because things that are traumatic burn into your memory stronger than happy memories. Absolutely. You know, so it's, it's... But it's so important to try, like you said, like you did, to replace them to see a person because mm-hmm. I think that is... It's... I, lose, I use processing as a word lightly, but that is part of processing what happened yeah. to someone of being like, oh, I see. They weren't just, like you said, they weren't just that... Mm-hmm photo on the front page mm-hmm. of that newspaper they were yeah a dad and a brother and a husband yeah. and and that they're not just political yeah and that they don't just exist for other people's politics you know but yeah. I mean yeah I mean I like I said it's like all of the work that I do is 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 so kind of politically racially charged mm. and like it it has to be because of this. Yeah. Like, I can't, I genuinely, like, can't think of any any other reason why it's such a fixation for me. Yeah. To, to, to feel so frustrated by how easy it is to fuck up everybody's life because <laughs> you told a set of lies mm. about a group of people. Mm. You know, that's it. That's literally, like, if you want, like, the most basic terms, like... You just sat there and you said a bunch of shit for long enough about a group of people and this is where we ended up, mm. you know? Well, it makes me just think of like the, the importance of language, like you said, yeah. the importance of language and just like the weight of words. Like, And that's why I think this book, coming back to it, is, is so interesting and I, uh, you know, I urge people to read it, especially if it's... It's just so... It's, we all live for his such a I feel like such a dick say it was like we all live on this one place. We have to like work out how to talk to each other. Right. That's right. it. Then it doesn't mean any like there isn't a right or wrong. It's not as clear as that, but we have to come to each other with the carefulness of our words. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when you think about refugee crisis or, you know, the way immigration is used politically now and the way wars are used politically, yeah. it's yeah. yeah, it's important, like you said, to remember the personal 
Yeah. But you're talking about people. Yeah. You're and not how, talking how about... divisive, how dangerous that divisive language yeah. is. I remember my, my cousin was a, um, when he was doing his national service, he was uh, on, they put, they put him on that, on the border, the, where the, just like that very narrow border in, in, the, in the capital. And he was absolutely terrified. Like I was just like, you know, 18, 19 year old, mm. like really like, you know, a young man, like a kid basically. And um, he remembers one night, like it was so close to like the other side. And there's this other like 17, 18, 19 year old Greek yeah. Cypriot kid who's clearly just as terrified. <laughs> and he said that after a while, like they would roll cigarettes to each other and like throw magazines of like, like naked women, you know, <laughs> at each other. And it's, it, that's so beautiful for me because yeah. you realize that like what's separating these two people in the most simplistic terms is is there is is language mm. and religion and beyond that that's absolutely it greek and turkish cypriots have the exact same dna as each other which is different to the dna that we have that we share or that we don't share rather with turks from turkey and greeks from greece wow. we are this we are the same race essentially and the only thing separating us is our culture is exactly the same as well like the only thing separating us is language and religion but ultimately like that when he told me that I was like you're just boys yeah like, that's it like no matter what language you're coming at this from you are still boys that want to see tits and, like, <laughs> have, a fag. and have a fag like <laughs> that's it and you get that you get that on a fundamental human level you're you're still boys you know and that like that was that was a really beautiful thing thing for me but also a very sad thing as well mm. to realize you're physically like physically divided by just such an abstract idea of, yeah. of difference that's a really beautiful story i like ending on boys and tits Shemaine, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me thanks for having me about this incredible book and your situation and um, say your granddad's name for me suleiman rajep suleiman rajep thank you so much thank you You can follow Shemaine on Twitter at Shemaine Suleiman. That's C-H-I-M-E-N-E-S-U-L-E-Y-M-A-N. And her book, which she co-edited with Nikesh Shulka, is called The Good Immigrant USA and is available to buy now. And I thoroughly recommend it. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And the music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 